Welcome to episode 30 of the Wall She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today we're talking about making and selling plush toys with my guests, Chelsea Bloxham and Phil Barbado. Chelsea Bloxham's business is Love in a Sandwich. She specializes in making creepy, cute plush toys and embroidery hoops featuring characters from her favorite animated movies and shows. Her first book is coming out next month, titled Adventure Time Crafts, where she worked alongside Cartoon Network to make Adventure Time-inspired arts and crafts. She lives here in Boston, Massachusetts, sewing from her apartment living room alongside her sole co-worker, Khan, the Australian Shepherd. Chelsea Bloxham, Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Great to have you on the show. Phil Barbado has been making plush for over a decade. He and his wife, Megan, have been really taking it super serious for the last five years or so. Megan and Phil work from their home studio slash dining room in Richmond, Virginia. They also actively maintain two unreasonably cute babies and one slightly <laughs> neglected dog. Phil Barbado, welcome. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> It's great to have you guys. I love your intros. It's so fun to have plush makers on the show. Like I often have people who kind of do quilting or other kinds of like garment sewing and stuff. And I feel like when I have a plush plush makers, I'm like among my people. So you're here. Um, you're home, Abby. Yeah, yeah. People who like faux fur, you're the best. Um, okay, so Chelsea, we're going to start with you. Let's go way back. Tell me about where you grew up and what your family was like when you were a kid. Um, I grew up in Connecticut. I actually grew up in Newtown, Connecticut, in Sandy Hook. And uh, I grew up with really supportive parents. I was always doing crafts. Like, they were super into that. They would never let me watch TV. Like, I was always kicked out. Like, go outside. Do something creative. Like, don't sit around and be lazy. And I think that's stuck with me forever because I always have to be working on something or I kind of lose my mind. Are you an only child? I have one little sister who's younger, and I have two younger stepsisters. So I'm the oldest of four girls. Oh, wow, four girls. <laughs> I have three daughters, so <laughs> you're also an all female, <laughs> besides my husband. Um, okay, so what did you do after high school? Um, I went to college for a year and a half, but I just, it wasn't for me. I didn't even really want to go to, to college to begin with. Um, but while I was there, I started making toys for fun, and I was selling them on the side to have extra money to do stuff on the weekends. And they started to get so popular that it got in the way of my schoolwork and homework. So I decided to drop out and pursue it full time. And I'm lucky that it's worked out so far. Um, were your parents supportive of that decision? Um my mom was, my dad is very like, just get a degree in anything, just do it, just finish. And uh, my mom was just like, just follow your dreams. So I went with that. And it's worked out for you. I mean, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, so far. Okay. I'm just going to keep riding it till <laughs> as long as possible. Full, do you make plush full time? Like how, for how long has this been? You're, like, did you take another job, you know, after you left college or like how long has it been that you've been doing this as your job? Um, I mean, I lucked out that when I dropped out, I had a really supportive boyfriend who um, uh, let me, like, work my way up. So he paid more of the bills than I did at first until I was able to work my way up and help out more and more. And now I'm totally self-sufficient. And, yeah, I mean, I haven't had any other real jobs, really. I mean, I was his assistant, basically, for a while, so on top of doing my own work. And does, so he, does he work from home too? Yeah, it's, I'm actually not with him anymore, but he was a concept artist for um, a lot of big companies and he drew for Magic the Gathering and stuff like that. Okay, so you were helping him out and then working on your own business and now you're totally doing this full time. That's, that's really yeah. impressive, <laughs> I feel like. So how many years has it been since then? Like how many years have you been making and selling plush? Um... Seven years, I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it took a while. I mean, it's not like an immediate overnight. Now I'm supporting myself doing this. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Um, and do you mostly sell online or do you mostly sell at craft shows or retail stores? Like how does it, how does that breakdown work? It's pretty much all online. I haven't even done any sort of craft shows or anything. I mean, I've sent individual things to gallery shows and stuff, but I've never actually even attended one that I've sent stuff to. 
Okay. You know, so it's almost all online and it's on, it's through Etsy or, and you have your own shop. You have a big cartel shop. Like did, is most of your work sold on Etsy? I used to have an Etsy, but I switched over to big cartel because it, my fees were getting ridiculous just because of the amount that I was selling on there and big cartel, it was a lot more cost efficient. So I, um, it's easier for people to find you on Etsy, but the, the money was worth the switch. Right. And so did you find, a, like, how long ago did you make that move? Uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Okay. So it's been kind of enough time. Maybe less. Yeah. Okay. So did you find like a dip in sales after you left Etsy just because, you know, there's random people who are just kind of surfing around on Etsy and find you who don't even know anything about love in a sandwich or just like, Oh, cute monster. I want one. Um, and maybe won't find your big cartel shop that way. Whereas, you know, with big cartel, you're bringing your own fans and followers and interested people directly to you. Well, at first I feel like I didn't get as much sales because I think people were just looking at from Etsy and just couldn't, didn't figure out how to get to my big cartel from there. But I think Etsy is so huge now that it's hard to just find people. So it's, didn't really make that much of a difference as far as random people go. Okay. So it's about the same or, or more maybe. And without the Etsy fees, it's, it adds, adds up and ends up being more economical to sell it on your own. Yeah, I'd say so. Cause I have such a, a fairly large following online that it doesn't really matter. Cause I'm just directing them to that from my pictures. Right. And you have an amazing Tumblr. So tell me about your Tumblr. Like, how did you choose Tumblr? What do you put on Tumblr? How often do you update it? And, like, what is your following like there? Because I'm actually less familiar with Tumblr than I am with any other kind of sort of blogging or social media site. I mean, I used to use it just mostly inspirational things and then sprinkle some stuff that I put, that I made in there. And now it's just pretty much all stuff that I've made and I, I mean, I like to make little compilations of photos so more people will repost it and reblog it. And since a lot of like cartoon shows have their own Tumblr, I'll submit to them and then that'll like blow up a lot of the time. I'm probably the biggest on Tumblr than any social media thing that I'm on right now. I'm just on everything. I just put myself out as to anywhere I can. Right. You're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, you're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you on Facebook too? Yeah. Okay. Um, is there a way to know? I really don't even know just out of ignorance, like h- how many followers you have on Tumblr or anything like that. It's just on the, your little side dashboard. It, it says how many people follow you and how many people you follow. Okay. So do you have an estimate of like how many people follow you on Tumblr now? I can look right now. I'm, on the <laughs> I'm just curious because I know anytime I click over, and look at your Tumblr. I'm always amazed by the number of people who are just like so excited about and interested in your <laughs> monsters and just love them and love you and like uh, think you're gorgeous. And I'm, like, I'm always like, wow, her fan base is so devoted. It's like, I mean, there's no, isn't there really no wonder that you can move off of Etsy and, and not really see a dip? Yeah, I'm still surprised all the time with the amount of feedback I get, like it still blows my mind. I'm still insanely grateful for every time someone wants to buy something that I need. Totally. I'm currently at about 24,000 followers on Tumblr. Yeah. 24,000 followers on Tumblr. (laughs) And so you're able to bring those people directly. And I think that that's a big point to make is that, you know, you build and you build and you build to the point where you've got that following and you can move those people directly to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's super important. So your monsters are incredibly cute. Um, <laughs> and they're really, really furry. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think all, are all of them, I think almost all of them are furry. Pretty um, much. I mean, I do embroidery hoops too, but right. like most of my actual monsters the are monsters very furry. Yeah. So any tips for people who want to work with fur, maybe haven't worked with fur before. I feel like um, it, it's kind of a stumbling block for people who are sort of mainstream sewers, haven't met necessarily sewn a toy before. Um, you know, they're like, what do I do with the fur? Like, I don't know how to cut the fur. <laughs> it, is it going to be like hard to sew? How am I going to get under my presser foot? All that stuff. So any sort of words of wisdom for working with fur? Um, I mean, it'll make a mess. You'll have to get used to that pretty quickly. But I always keep a uh, garbage can right next to me when I'm working with it. And um, as far as cutting it goes, 
you want to stick it like underneath the fur so you don't give it an awkward haircut and then when you have the pieces it'll look really weird every time you make a cut you want i always pull at the edges of it so it doesn't make it even more mess and throw all that out all the extra fur that's like loose i mean another good tip is it's going to be frustrating at first but the more you do it like with anything else the better you'll get at it i don't know i never really had much of a problem with putting it through a sewing machine a lot of people always ask me tips and i don't really like i don't really know how to help them so it's usually works out fine for me you got to pay attention to the the nap right like whether where which direction the fur is going in so that it yeah. lines up and matches yeah, when you're cutting something, you want the fur to be going downwards. Otherwise, it'll like be going in all different directions and it won't look right. Right. And then do you pick it out of the seams after it's turned and stuffed? Yeah, I have a little comb, too, that I use sometimes. Yeah, I have a comb, too. <laughs> I like and I definitely lint roll things this one out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Give them a little yeah, hair brush. Like, I wear glasses and I get fur, little bits of fur under my glasses and I can't see. It's great. Um, so your new book sounds amazing. Um, my 10 year old is in fifth grade. She's obsessed with adventure time. I mean, I am too. The show is, it's like bizarre and incredible. And it's really, it's an amazing thing. So how did this come about? Um, they contacted me, uh, this, uh, they're called Pottercraft. They're a section of random house publishing and they were working with Cartoon Network to make an Adventure Time craft book. And they saw that I was doing all these Adventure Time-themed um, embroidery hoops um, through this website that I used to do a monthly post on, MrXStitch.com. And they asked me to make some sample crafts. And then they approved them and they made me write a whole book. Well, they make me, but <laughs> yes, I wanted to. Yeah, so they came up with this idea and presented it to you. And then... Yeah. Did you have to come up with the table of contents and the proposal and stuff like that? Or did they kind of tell you what they wanted or was it a mix? Well, it was kind of a mix. I mean, they had some certain things that they wanted. Like they wanted me to do my embroidery hoops and my toys, obviously. And they had sections that they wanted to do. Like they wanted to do jewelry, home goods, um, toys, and uh, wearable things, I think. I think there's four chapters, maybe five. I should probably know this. <laughs> um, and yeah, they basically they asked me for feedback and things. They wanted like a, a wide range of like all the different characters and like different um, degrees of difficulty, like really easy for kids and difficult ones for people who are more experienced in crafts. There's about, I think there's 20 crafts okay. in there, 20 in total, 16 out of the 20. Okay, cool. That That seems like that's just such an amazing thing. And I think it really speaks to... Um, you know, just doing what you think is interesting and what you like to do and um, working hard at it and just posting pictures of it. And, um, and, you know, you don't know who's out there watching and who's going to see it and be like, wow, that would work for us and, you know, approach you about it. So, you know, you were a fan of the show making stuff and, and now you're writing the book for the show, you know? I know. It blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait. It comes out on the, uh, on the 7th of October. That's so cool. Did you get to meet any of the producers of the show or the writers? I did not. I got to speak to them on the conference call, but that's about it. It was some people from Cartoon Network and from Pottercraft. Uh-huh. Together with you. Just planning things out. Mm-hmm. That is so cool. My daughter is going to go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's called Adventure Time Crafts. Yep. Okay, and it comes out soon. Yeah, it's available for pre-order right now on Amazon and Random House, but it actually comes out on the 7th. Phil, I'm interested to hear about your childhood. Where did you grow up, and were you always a maker? Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia in, like, D.C. suburbs, which is to say, you know, I I never went to D.C. I didn't live in D.C. I lived in a, you know... Typical suburb kind of place. I did too. I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. Oh, I, I grew up in Fairfax. Yeah. If, yeah. So yeah, I, I grew up there. Um, I've always been, always been an art, doing art, uh, you know, from the time I could draw, I was drawing, I drew a lot, you know, as a, a, a boy growing up, I drew a lot of like superheroes and, and things like that. Um, I, I'm, I would say I've always been a maker. I mean, I, I was into Lego, um, so I, you know, made a lot of things out of Lego. I drew a lot. Um, I painted some in high school and, and made some other stuff. Um, 
I came to Richmond for college. I went to VCU in the late 90s or mid-90s. Um, I'm old. Um, um, and I, I ended up in the um, sculpture program, which at the time I think still is kind of like a catch-all program at VCU. It's like you're not sure what you want to do, but you want to make things. You go into sculpture, and it's actually called the – it's got this really snooty name. It's Sculpture, sculpture and Extended Media. And the official name, like yeah, I think it's even on my diploma, instead of and or ampersand, it's a plus. So sculpture plus Extended Media. That's my degree. Uh, and really, I really uh, like lean towards the extended media side where I just like – we have these little studio spaces, and it was a lot of fun to just go in there and just make stuff. So I, I, I taught myself how to make books. wasn't very good at making books, but it was fun. I did installation stuff, made things out of uh, cardboard tubes, um, whatever. Just made a lot of stuff. Um, I started making plush after college. Uh, well, I have, like, pretty much the opposite approach to my career that um, from Chelsea, like... I finished college and I had an art degree and then like I kind of accidentally got into web stuff doing flash animation and then flash programming and then just straight up front end development kind of stuff for, for the web. Um, and sort of forgot about being an artist for a while. I just sort of did it on the side or not at all. Um, and I had friends who were doing it, uh, specifically my friend Ura, um, who was, who was my roommate in college in first year in college. And we actually had an apartment together with, him and some other guys, um, later in college. Um, he's just one of those people that just like, he just breathes out art, music, art, painting, sculptures, softies, whatever. He just makes stuff all the time. And I was always so jealous, jealous of his productivity. I think I like a lot of creative people just like let my brain get in the way of making stuff. Um, so, you know, I fell into the safe kind of career and, uh, I was started making softies inspired by Ura. Um, I started just kind of making things like weird, like pillow things. And um, did you know how to sew then? I mean, did you learn to sew? Um, no, I sewed a little bit when I was a kid. Like I remember, we had this really cool project in my art class. We did. Um, I think it was even a, it was a screen print. I don't remember what the. It was probably one of those like little home kit screen printy kind of things. I don't remember what brand it was, or whatever. But I remember it was this you know kind of small like nine by seven size screen print, but we were, it was, uh, the assignment was not just screen printing, but it was like pattern making. So we figured out how to make like a repeating pattern and then made a screen print of it and then printed it on some fabric. And I was like, Oh, I want to like make a pillow out of this. So my mom had a serger and she's like, here, set up here and make a pillow. Um, that is probably the only sewing I ever did before my mid twenties when I started making plush. So, um, so did your friend, um, or did he teach you how to sew or did, how did you learn? Uh, I just, I had a machine that I, my mom had like, like an, an, has this old brother that I still have that, um, is a lot of people say it's a great machine cause it's one of those old cast iron machines. It's, it's, uh, but I, it doesn't really actually work that well for like plush and stuff. It's very picky and sensitive. Um, but I used it for a long time. Um, I just, I got it. My mom had it at her house cause it was like my aunt's and she was her old machine. She didn't want it. So I was like, can I have this? And she said, sure. So I took it back to my apartment and just started sewing stuff. I went to like, got like scraps and remnants from the fabric store and experimented with different fabrics. I, I, for a while I had a penchant for like weird stuff that was like really the wrong kind of stuff to make plush out of like heavy, like vinyl, like faux leather stuff. And like, uh, I had once I had this stuff that was like speaker grill material, but it was shiny. It was like silvery. And I was like, oh, I want to make stuff out of this. This is awesome. So, um, so you're just experimenting, trying different things. Yeah. And yeah. Thinking, like, what can I make out of this? What can I? Yeah. And learning, breaking needles, you know, <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. I, you know, honestly, I didn't even learn what a stretch needle was until like four years ago. I was complaining about uh, skipping stitches on Twitter. And one of my friends was like, uh, are you using a stretch needle? <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Um, Listen, so that's what I love about plush. Is I feel like it's such a great entry point for people who maybe yeah. sort of are turned off by the formality of you know, quote unquote, real sewing. And they just feel like, I want to just like make a guy, like I want to make a creature and this weird fabric. And I'm just going to like put these pieces together and see what happens, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't need to know how to do it. I'm just going to try it. Cause there aren't any rules. If you're making a monster, you know, it's not like a formal, you must first cut along the line. <laughs> you know, you can you just kind of do it and see what happens. Okay, cool. So, so you started making plush, you were working in, um, you know, front end development and in 
um, and you know, designing for the web. Um, and so, so did this become like a full-time job or a part-time job? Like when did it start actually making money? Um, well, to, to, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's never been a full-time job for me. Um, uh, I feel like because I'm sort of like doing, trying to do it the easy way and not diving in with both feet. Um, and then at the same time, like continuing my life, like getting married, having kids, um, there's never been, I, you know, there never will be a safe point to dive in with both feet. Um, but I feel like, and it's, it just sort of works for us the way we do it. Like I, I actually have a full-time job now, uh, doing web stuff. Um, but because we have the kids now, like I'm forced, like I, it gives me this laser focus on like when I have time to work and I will work at this time because that's all I have. So we have like, we're going to crafty bastards in a week and a half and we have a lot of stuff to make. And Megan is, you know, the best. She does all of the, the unglamorous, terrible work of like cutting stuff on the AccuQuill and lining up stuff and figuring out how much we need of everything and, and, and making lists for me. So I just sit down at the machine every night and sew for an hour or so for two hours or whatever I can. Um, so that's just what works for us right now. Um, I hope that someday I, you know, it's a dream that it will be self-sufficient. Um, I think we took a, we kind of took, we're continuing to slowly take steps in that direction. Uh, going to New York Comic Con was really a big step up for us in just the exposure and the size of uh, show and stuff like that. Did and you go to New York Comic Con this year? No, we're not going this year. Uh, it's actually in October. Uh, we're not going this year just because we have the two two kids, one of whom is three months old, and it's just right. that and the cost. We just didn't. We couldn't couldn't bear the cost this year last year we actually got a kiva loan just to go to comic-con uh it was pretty cool um <clears throat> but um but your dream eventually is to maybe down the road when it seems like more you know doable to sort yeah, of ramp I, it up a little bit and and potentially try to do it as a full-time thing is that is am i getting that right yeah pretty much i don't think i don't think we're gonna wait we're not going to wait for like the perfect moment because that's never going to happen. I think our, our goal is to just keep going and keep making stuff and keep growing as organically as we can in the best way we can in the time we have to manage it. So we're, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason our Etsy sales have gone up this year. Um, it's weird. Like, because everybody's like, Oh, Etsy's like exactly like Chelsea said, I felt the same way. And I've thought about switching to Shopify or big cartel or something else for some reason there's been an uptick and it's it seemed to coincide with the new sell on etsy ios app maybe i'm just, just because i'm paying attention to it more because i get the notifications on my phone and stuff when I, somebody favorites my shop and i buy something that's a little cha-ching happens on my phone it's kind of right. cool but um <laughs> uh we used to get like maybe one sale a month or one sale every other month on etsy and like with do making no changes other than just like I guess we're actively renewing and stuff, whatever. We're getting one or two a week, which is kind of awesome. It's still not a lot. I'm not, you know, I don't have 24,000 followers on Tumblr. But, um, you know, we're, we're doing okay. It's it's a good volume for us to be able to keep up with, you know, being both working full-time and stuff right, like that. Right, so. right, right. And, and plus you do these shows and going to yeah. Bastards and, you know, that that's another way to... Um, you know, if you're not going to make a, a million sales on Etsy, you can, you can kind of do it that way too. And what do you learn from those shows? Like when you're interacting, you know, you're there among all your furry bearded gold toothed monsters, <laughs> people are walking up and checking them out and talking to you or not talking to you and just talking amongst themselves while you're standing there. So what do you learn from those, from doing those shows? We learn a lot about, um, maybe too much about price sensitivity. Um, it's really tough. Um, I think it's really tough in the general public to, to get these prices, the like accurate prices across, uh, for people to accept those, um, prices. Um, and even honestly, my wife has an MBA and she does a lot of analysis of our cost of goods and all that kind of stuff. And we're right on the hairy edge of barely profitable and our prices are people are like makes make people's eyes water like um you know my mid-sized things range from 32 dollars to 50 dollars, and that's like the medium size like large handful size ones they're not like the big ones are 60 80 bucks and my wife is like yeah you can't you can't lower those prices if anything we have to raise them <laughs> so uh so that's one of the things we've been working on a lot is like trying to reduce um 
production costs and, and streamline. That's why we got the AccuQuilt. And, yeah, uh, just to be clear, I wrote a blog post about, which I'll link to, about your AccuQuilt, but you had custom dies created for your AccuQuilt cutter so that you can cut really quickly all of the pattern pieces for yeah. the monsters and the guys that you make a lot. Yeah, exactly. And as we, you know, as we, as they have sales on the custom dies, we order new ones. So we have more and more stuff. I haven't tried it with fur yet. Again, like, like Chelsea said, you don't really want to cut the fur. You don't want to cut through the fur. You want to just cut the backing. So I'm afraid to put the fur on the AccuQuilt because it will cut the fur. I know. So I'm afraid of what, like what that's going to end up looking like, but we might try, we've got a new line of guys coming out. They're supposed to be like our cheapest thing that are all mostly all fur. They're, um, we might try eventually cutting those on the on the AccuQuilt and see what happens. Yeah, I'm thinking if you use like a short pile fur, you might. I mean, it might. Still yeah. Cut, it'll still cut it, but it'll cut. It'll be less noticeable because it won't be these long pieces. I don't know. So right now, you're cutting fleece with it. Yeah, just cutting fleece, and all the fur is hand cut. Just interacting with people, um, seeing their reactions to your stuff, it's so rewarding to see people like pick up your thing and go, or just come from across the hall and, and wide eyes like, oh my God, you know, just to, to, to get that feedback is so nice. That to me makes it worth it. Um, and then just to talk to people, I mean, a lot of people have dumb ideas and you know, people have good ideas. <laughs> yeah. Every show, especially New York Comic Con, I thought this was a hat. You should make hats. I thought this was a hat. You should make hats. I thought this was a hat. You should make hats. Oh, I hate that. Have you ever tried to make a hat? It's not easy. I have made hats, but I don't want to make hats for a living. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's Uh, interesting. Yeah. So, well, let's talk for a second about, like, people's impression, because I actually think that's an interesting topic. So, um, So, when you meet new people, like, you know, you're at a party or you're out walking dog and you meet a neighbor who you've never met before or whatever. And, um, and they say like, what do you do? Um, <laughs> and when you're talking about, you know, for you, for you felt like the plush side of what you do and, and for you, Chelsea, for, for what you do, what, what do you say? Like, how do you explain it? Like, what is the first thing you say? And then what do you say after that? So Chelsea, do you want to go first? I mean, I never really know what to say. That's what I would a problem with they usually say toy designer but then they think i like design them and someone else makes them and their brain automatically goes to like action figures or something so i usually just bring out my phone like this is what i do because i have a million pictures of it in there and they just seem to be really confused like that's what you do for a living what (laughs) yeah i don't know and now that the book comes out i think it makes me seem more legitimate like i actually know what i'm doing that i'm not just like some weirdo who sits in a room all day and so weird right. stuff. Even though you're still that same person. <laughs> well, yeah. Now the Cartoon Network has plucked you out. So and Pottercraft, <laughs> and so you're like, yeah, I published a book with Random House, and there you are. Um, that's amazing that legitimacy that can come with that. But um, you just okay, need to carry so. a copy of that around with you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <just> like, <laughs> look, I look, want- it's a real thing. Right. I wish I could. I love it so much. <laughs> Without seeming like a crazy person that's like obsessed with myself or something. <laughs> I think you totally should. That just <laughs> um, yeah. There was a long period of time where I would just say, like you say, I did, I'm a toy designer. I would just say, I sew. Like I would just leave it at that. I sew. And then people always think you sew clothes and you know, it goes and like, it's interesting what, where people's minds go after that first word. So what do you say, Phil? Um, I usually say like, I'll say, uh, I make plush and people look at me like, what is plush? And I say, I make stuffed animals and they go, Oh, okay. And people, pretty much get it from there but they i don't know what they they probably have an image of like a gund or a or a build a bear in their head or something like that um um but yeah like like chelsea i have like you know pull up my phone and show them some stuff show them my etsy shop or something like that most people are really intrigued and i think a lot of well i don't know i don't know if people get turned off by the prices i think i don't know i'm kind of stuck on that but um yeah i it's um when it, you know people say, "Oh, you must be great at sewing," and I always tell them I'm terrible at sewing. And I, I, will, <laughs> I can't make anything except the things that I've taught myself to make. They're my designs, so don't ask me to do your uh, to fix your shirt or hem your pants or anything like that, because uh, I'll just make a hash of it. Yeah, do but, you feel that way, Chelsea? Um, I mean, I've taught myself how to do some things. I can't fix a shirt, but I don't think I could hem pants. I've like made costumes before, but it's like a process. <laughs> I just kind of learn as I go, but I wouldn't say that I'm like good at those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how many people are like, oh, you must make all your kids clothes. I'm like, I don't sew clothes. 
They're like, why would you sew and not sew clothes? Like, they just stay, they don't understand. Have you ever made a pair of pants? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't mend. I'm not going to do, I'm not doing, like, and yes, yeah, so similar to the way that people always ask you to make hats and you should make these. <laughs> you know, making clothes have so is so many ideas and you're like, eh, I don't do that. Yeah, I just, I just make stuff animals. That's it. That's what I do. It's similar to like, well, I have a degree in sculpture, but like people are like, oh, so what did you do? Stone or ceramics or and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. No, that's I've never carved stone in my life. I've never I mean, I've done a couple of clay pots in elementary school, but, you know, it's, like, it's such a uh, it's hard to I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah, it's super niche. I get it. You know, um, so but that's OK. I like being niche. And now that I design sewing patterns, it's easier because I can just tell people I have a sewing pattern business. And they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's People get that. Um, so, um, so have you, I just asked my last question before we dive into our recommendation list, which I'm dying to get to, but have either of you ever thought about doing patterns? Because now, Chelsea, you've made patterns, I guess, for your book. Um, like, it sounds like you've made 20 projects for there. We are writing instructions and, you know, making templates and that sort of thing. And have you ever thought about sort of branching off into doing that? Um, I mean... I don't think I'd really like to. I don't, I don't know. I like to make everything be mine and I don't want other people making things that are my specific designs that bothers me for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I I sort of feel the same way. Like I, I, but at the same time, selling patterns definitely fits. Like it sort of fits into that, like low, uh, low input, kind of passive income thing that would be really nice for us right now, you know? So we've talked about it and I think maybe a solution would be to either not, I wouldn't do my full line, but maybe do one thing or the most popular thing or, um, or maybe just do a, a, do a pattern that is a specific design that I don't sell otherwise, you know? So I, I keep tossing the idea around and probably sometime in the next decade, I will, I might do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, and the thing is, like, you know, I can share, pe- you know, I can share a pattern, but I can't teach people how to, you know, the just the delicate work it takes to work with the fur or whatever, you know, or, you know, I don't know. I think, I think, I do think about it, but uh, I'm kind of stuck with the same artistic ego problems, too. I'm too attached. I'm afraid people are going to take my ideas and turn it into their own thing because I've had a lot of copycats in the past. Yeah, and that's without even putting my patterns out there. So that's a big another thing that worries. Right. So they'll take me. it and then they'll sort of just riff on it slightly and then say it's theirs and start selling it and sort of in, in some way competing against you. Yeah, I mean, com- competition's healthy, but not when they're taking your designs straight off and using it, them. <laughs> it's shocking how how many people feel like that kind of stuff is okay. Like they don't really understand that there's a line there in some cases. I don't know if it's internet culture or coming up with like, you know, free music downloading kind of culture, but people, sometimes people feel like they can just like take your thing and put a bow on it and then sell it. And it's like, and as their original design, like that's, that's not how that works. (laughs) I think with crafts, people think it's okay Uh, a lot more because it's very like DIY stuff. I'm like, Oh, I can make that too. So I'm going to make it. Right. Yeah. Definitely with crafts. fight. I honestly don't have a problem with people try to make my own designs. I only have a problem if they try to sell it and say it's their own. Well, and just selling it in general, but still. Right. But if they want to make it for themselves for fun, I don't care. (laughs) I think in both cases, because both of your businesses are really based on selling your original creations, finished, finished original creations. And because that's what you've, like, that's what your businesses stand on is I made this one and it's $50 and that's how I get paid by, by making it and selling it to you. Um, That to shift to patterns, then it has like a different dynamic than if you kind of come out the gate as a pattern maker. Then you've always been selling patterns. You don't sell finished goods at all, and so it doesn't undercut or undermine. Uh, you know what I mean? Like there, it, yeah. It's sort of two different approaches. Um, but but you both have pretty you know thriving uh, finished goods businesses, so, you know, handmade goods businesses. So I think that, that could, it could prove problematic to, to do it that way, to start selling patterns. Um, it's definitely more complicated. Um, all right, cool. So let's dive into your recommendation list. I've asked both of you to prepare a list of things you're enjoying right now, and I've got a few of mine ready too. So Chelsea, we're going to start with you. Okay. And you wanted to recommend Yumly, 
which is an app and um, and it's also a website and it looks really cool. I love to cook like you and love to bake and I had never heard of this before. I kind of struggled writing this list for some reason because I didn't want to do anything that no one, uh, the people had already heard of. But I'm obsessed with this app because I love to cook. I'm like the house cook of me and my roommates. And um, I always just use it and I'll look up some random thing that I have in the fridge and be like, hmm, beets. I have beets. What the hell do I make with beets? And then a bunch of recipes will come up. I can filter it for how long it takes, how many ingredients it needs, what. Um, like breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And I've figured out a bunch of new awesome recipes from it. So yeah, I I love it. It collects recipes from all different like websites and different food blogs and stuff. So like you'll find smitten kitchen recipes on there and recipes from all different, you know, food blogs. Um, and the recipes themselves live on those blogs and sites. So you're clicking over, right. And, and accessing them. So it's not like taking their content. It's just, helping you to filter. Yeah, it's like a Google of recipes. It's like a Google of recipes, exactly. And so I read on there on the Yumly um, sort of about us page that the way it started was the founder really didn't like mustard. And so he wanted to be able to filter out recipes that included mustard. And he felt like he couldn't filter out an ingredient. Like he could find an ingredient, you know, he could put in a Google search, I want something, you know, made with boneless, skinless chicken breast, but he couldn't filter out mustard. And that was the impetus. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they have on there. So this helps you because you can really, um, like it's sensitive to a lot of different filters. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And helps you search, which is I eat everything. So I never filter out anything. (laughs) To a a fault, but anyway. Um, Okay. Omnivores, woo! Yay, omnivores. (laughs) Um, Phil, let's turn to you, and you want to recommend my favorite tool of all time, the hemostat? (laughs) Yeah, um, I, you know, I'd seen one of those things in my life before, um, but I never put the connection together with, like, how useful that would be for for flipping plush. You wrote a blog post about it and I was like, oh my God, that's genius. I need one now. And you have, you sell them on your shop and I bought one. Um, but the cool thing is, like you said in your post, you don't even need to buy one. If you, you know, everybody has a nurse or a doctor probably in their extended family or circle of friends or whatever. Just ask them to hang on to one for you before they throw it out, boil it for 10 minutes and there you go. Um, I, it's, I can't explain how, in, how invaluable this thing is, especially for the little tiny octopus um, things that I make, their feet are so tiny, like flipping them inside out, even with a pokey stick, it's sometimes, it just doesn't work. So being able to go in there, grab the seam and pop, pop it out is just, it's magical. It's okay. so great. What is this I love thing? It. I've never heard of this. It's called thing. a hemostat. Like imagine it's, it's a cross between a pair of scissors and a pair of pliers. Um, and it, uh, but it also locks. So it's like a pair of needle nose pliers, very precise that you can lock closed. Um, so you can, you can, um, stick it into like a foot or whatever that you have not flipped. Got, grab the seam with the end, lock it, and then just yank it out to pull it out. Uh, it's so nice. It's amazing for stuffing too because you can grab a little bit of stuffing and stick it all the way up inside, like all the extremities of your toy. Yeah, like the end of a horn. Or, yeah. It's, I love my hemostats. I have like 15 pairs of them. But Chelsea, <laughs> I'll send you one. Give me your address and I'll send you one. Sure. <laughs> They're awesome. Um, yeah, it's my favorite tool of all time. In fact, I have like a permanent callus on my hand where my hemostat rests because I use it so often. <laughs> totally. I love it. Um, all right. That's a good one. So um, I wanted to talk about the repost app on Instagram. Uh, I think you're both on Instagram. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So for a long time, so I'm okay. I'm fairly new to Instagram. I don't have, I have like under 900 followers. I don't have that many, um, people on there yet. I've just been on there for maybe a couple of months. And, um, so in the beginning people would like make things for my patterns or like get my book, one of my books or something like that. And they would, um, you know, tag me on Instagram. And then I would want to like, um, repost their post, you know, on my feed And in order to do that, I would just, like, take a screenshot and then crop it and then, you know, post it. So then I found the repost app, which I think is really brilliant. So you open it, and then you see your whole Instagram feed there. And 
from the Repost app, which you can download for free from the App Store, um, you can just hit Repost. And it kind of like makes a little frame around the picture, and it says it's been reposted uh, from another account. So it's really clear that this isn't your photo. This is someone else's photo that you're reposting. Um, it just makes that so much easier and quicker, and um, I like it. So I didn't know about it, and then I would see people using it, and I'd be like, why does it say repost app on it? Like, what is this? So then I went and got it, and, um, and now I use it all the time, and I really like it. So um, I don't know if you guys – have you guys ever used it? I've heard of it. I usually just do the screenshot version. Yeah. But it doesn't <laughs> I, make it clear that that's not your photo. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. You'll be, like, reposted from, you know, and so this way it's super clear, like, this isn't mine and I – I'm borrowing it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, you know, it's free. I like it. So I recommend it. Cool. Um, all right. Chelsea, you wanted to talk about the place you get safety eyes online. Yeah. It's probably the next to asking where I get my fur. Everyone asks where I get my eyes. So um, I use glasseyesonline.com. And um, I mostly just buy the plastic eyes with the plastic washers. But there's a whole bunch of different ones that they have. They have glass eyes, obviously, and they have sew-in ones and a bunch of different like kinds, like cat eyes and all. Like I can, you can get sizes up to I think sixty millimeters, so they're huge. Until like the little tiny ones, I love it. It's like the only place I use to get eyes now. And they're also really nice people. Yeah, um, like I, they have this little tool that they created. It's pretty cool. It's like a wooden ball, and then it's a little piece of pipe that's stuck into the ball and you can use it to kind of hammer on the, the washer. If you, you know, just to kind of, it's like gives a little force to push the washer down onto the post of the eye. So I'd seen it, a, a blog reader of mine, said, this is a cool tool. And I, um, told them at glass size online that it was cool. And they sent me one for free. It was really nice. This was a while back, but, um, they were just so nice about it. So nice people. Um, and so you said, People ask you all the time for where you get your fur, so now you have to tell us where you get your fur. <laughs> okay. I mean, I get all, all of it online besides the very short get at Joann's. Um, but the biggest site I probably use is fabric.com because they have, like, coupons and things and um, get free shipping over $35, and I'm always using that. And a lot of places don't let you get half yards for some reason. Um, if I want really tiny bits just for a little bit i use this etsy shop called ever after fabrics um and if i want some really weird fur i usually either do distinctivefabric.com or mendels.com mendels and how do you spell mendels it's like m-e-n-d-e-l-s exactly yep all right cool it's in california too it's a physical shop which i forget where in california but if you if if a listener lives in california look it up and it might be near you (laughs) it'll be a lot cheaper yeah, you know, um, locally to us, I don't know if you drive and can come out to Framingham, but if you ever go to Fabric Place Basement in Framingham, they've got a good selection of fur. You check that out. Yeah, check it out. It's cool. Um, all right, Phil, we're on to you, and you want. <laughs> I'm taking notes. I'm taking a lot of notes on the fabric. <laughs> I actually asked uh, Chelsea was my original source for for crazy fur. I asked her way back in the plush team days, like, where do you get your fur? And she recommended. Uh, um, distinctive fabric and i still use them but their shipping is kind of expensive so i think i might have to start using fabric.com fabric.com is good they started actually getting some fun stuff too yeah as far as fur goes i just still love distinctive fabric for the crazy stuff they have so um i like they always have like really crazy metallic spandex which spandex is such a pain (laughs) in the ass to sew with but i love the patterns and i love the look of it that i just i torture myself anyway um don't you wonder sometimes when they like cut your order that they're like, what the heck is this person making? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One yard they of, always of ask rainbow fur. <laughs> yeah. I need rainbow fur and metallic spandex. Okay. That's what I need. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, Phil, you wanted to talk about tested.com. This sounds so cool. Yeah. It's basically, I'm pretty sure it's, it's basically the online home of the Mythbusters, but it's more, it's kind of have a, has a life of its own. And it's mostly like, you're not going to see a lot of Jamie Heineman. It's mostly Adam Savage. And then there's a couple other guys that are, I think are just unique to tested.com. Um, but I got into it cause I, it was, um, it was just the podcast was kind of generically recommended. Um, the Adam Savage it's called untitled the Adam Savage project. Um, but I just started listening to it and they're short podcasts. They're like 20, 30 minutes usually. And a lot of the, at least the ones I listened to were like, just talking about like, 
talking about working in the shop and making stuff and talking about materials. And, you know, Adam's a model maker and a special effects guy from, you know, from way back. And, um, he's a, he's, he's one of those people that's just been making stuff his whole life and has all these, like, just, just has done so many cool different kinds of jobs. He's worked in theater, he's worked in film. And so just to hear him talk shop and like talk shop with other people, talk about tools and materials and techniques and stuff like that, even if it's something that's not specifically something I'm going to do, like I'm not a model maker, but just to listen to them talk about their technique. And then from that, I kind of found their, I found their YouTube channel and they have, um, this series of, of, uh, a, you know, a whole playlist. They have tons of different videos. They have a couple different podcasts and stuff. And some of them are kind of boring, but, um, they do a lot of 3d printing stuff, but the one the stuff I'm really interested in is in, um, in Adam Savage's, what he calls his cave, which is just his workshop. Um, just, he, he'll do these builds where he builds a box. Like he just, he built this beautiful box for a stuffed beaver <laughs> that he takes around the country because he does like a little, um, I forget what he, he, he's got some other sub series where he just interviews somebody from the movie business or TV business or special effects business. And this, this beaver is there. Um, it's always there in the background and holding a little blue card with the person's name on it. It's like a, it's like an in joke, but it's, he built a case so he could fly with it. Um, and it was just really cool. Like watching the process of like measuring and like the way he builds things with wood and the kinds of paper he lines things with. And it was just really fascinating to watch that. And just to see also to see he's, he's such a huge collector to see his collections and stuff and the way he displays them and the way he talks about stuff. There's like, I don't know, five or 10 videos about his, um, about his Blade Runner blaster. <laughs> That's how obsessed he is with like the gun from Blade Runner. Uh, it's just fascinating to watch that kind of stuff. Um, so I dig that. Like, you know, like what really got me interested in, like in the early th- 2000s, there were all these shows like a discovery or whatever about like, you know, like American hot rod, American chopper, like where they built stuff. And I'm like, I love the building stuff, but then they inject all this fake drama and stuff. And it's, it sucks. Like I love when it's just making stuff, like just show me an hour of somebody like making stuff something and i love it so i love that i'm just been diving through their youtube channel and i watch i actually watch them while i sew so i kind of half watch and half listen uh but it's really fascinating okay so that's tested.com and you can find adam savage's podcast there and inside adam's cave playlist as well yeah okay cool that sounds really cool um all right i wanted to talk about um a website called oh don't forget.com okay this is really simple (laughs) You go on ohdon'tforget.com and you can schedule a text message to yourself or to someone <laughs> else. I've mainly used it for myself. Um, so, so I am involved with this um, sort of group Facebook page called The Daily Sew, and it's hosted different days by different people, and there's a big group of us. Um, and so you host every five weeks. Okay. So it's kind of a long ways out. I do have a calendar where I keep for my business, but frankly, sometimes I forget to look at it on a particular day. <laughs> and so you go, I go on, Oh, don't forget.com. And I schedule a text message for myself for the morning that I'm hosting saying, Hey, you're hosting the daily. So today, don't forget. So it's very nice. And you can, um, I was just on there today, checking it out before we got on the call and it turns out you can also schedule a text message for other people, which is kind of convenient. So you could schedule, uh, you know, text message to your husband or your wife or your mom or whatever, uh, like on your birthday. So pretty cool. Very simple. You put in like the cell phone number and the time and day and then the message and then it's just texts you. I like, I like it. Cool. That sounds amazing. I have a terrible memory. <laughs> yeah. My method is post-it notes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I might start, you know, scheduling them for future podcast guests. Don't forget you're on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. So, um, all right, Chelsea, we're back up to you. You wanted to talk about um, a book that you recently got, the Calvin and Complete <laughs> Collection. The last three I didn't know what to put, but I'm very obsessed with comics and um, animated shows in general. So that was just three things that I've been in love with recently. I got um, the entire Calvin and Hobbes collection for my birthday recently, and I'm just obsessed with it. It's, I mean, I've always liked them. I've loved Calvin and Hobbes since I was a kid. I think everyone's loved Calvin and Hobbes. I, I haven't met a single person that doesn't like them. Um, the main reason I loved it is because of the introduction in the beginning by Bill Watterson. And 
um, he's kind of notorious for being very um, reclusive. Like he doesn't do interviews or anything like that. So it was really interesting to actually hear him, well, read him talk about his life and how he came to um, do Calvin and Hobbes and all the struggles that came along with it. And it's very inspirational. Totally. I might. So I'm, I am a Calvin and Hobbes fan and, and um, my same 10 year old daughter who loves adventure time also loves Calvin and Hobbes and has read, I mean, she loves comics generally, so she, but she's read the whole thing. So that would be cool for her to check out. Um, it's a ridiculous amount, like huge books, like, and it's all in chronological order too, from the eighties to whenever his last one was, the like 2004, maybe I haven't got to the third book yet. <laughs> it's so much. Wow. Yeah. Have you seen the um, the documentary, Dear uh, it Dear Mr. Watterson or Dear? Yeah, I, I did. It was, was kind of cool. it was good. It was a little disappointing because I think I was hoping that he would be in it, and then they're yeah. like, "No, we couldn't get him." Oh, <laughs> yeah. well, this is still good, I guess. <laughs> we talked to his teachers and his librarian and <laughs> his postal worker, <laughs> but he's so he's so reclusive that he wouldn't be. He didn't agree to be part of it. No, yeah. he wasn't. Wow, that's interesting. I wonder why. He just really values his privacy. One thing that I really love about him is that he never um, wanted to make his stuff, you know, like into what's the word merchandise. Like he never licensed stuff. it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what we're for. Uh, he just wanted it to be his because he spent so long developing them and working on them that he didn't want to see them like on mugs and everywhere, and just didn't want to like um, take something like his baby and throw it out there which I, I respect because i probably would be like yeah license it i need money <laughs> yeah, you think about how much money he gave up by not doing that it was yeah. an incredible amount of money but then you don't end up like the simpsons where your stuff is just on everything you know yeah 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 it's an interesting point um all right phil you wanted to talk about how you listen to um podcasts um, using Overcast, which I haven't tried yet. I am getting a little bit fed up with the um, podcast app on my phone, the sort of iTunes podcast app. Um, yeah. Because it does use up a lot of memory. It doesn't auto-delete the the, the um, episodes I've listened to, and I listen to a lot of shows. So it's kind of problematic. So so how does Overcast work? Um, it's it's pretty simple. Um, it's it's a free app, and you can there's an in-app purchase. Like I think it's maybe $4.99. It's a, it's it's one of those things like, you know, you don't have to do it. You get some extra features. Like you get like uh, uh, different play speeds and a smart boost volume thing. Um, but the cool thing is like it has, you can try each of any, each of the cool features for like five minutes for free. Oh. Um, so it's kind of cool. But anyway, it works like um, it's a little different from the, the Apple Store app. Like you can search and you find things. Um, and... Uh, it just has this little like list of, and it only shows you like it's sort of separated. Like, it only shows you what's got a current episode, um, and you can dig back and download older episodes if you want. But then you just listen to stuff, and when it's done, it deletes it. Like I think it this is like a little bit of a grace period, like fifteen thirty seconds or something like that. But when you're done listening, it deletes it, which to me is like the best feature because yeah, I was the same problem with the podcast app. Like I was subscribed to a bunch of stuff, and I kind of stopped paying attention to it sometimes, and then I like my phone would just be full of podcasts, and I'm like, where where I have no room for more baby photos. Like where, <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, it's pretty cool. I think one of the the other big features you get um, when you pay for it is they call they're called smart playlists, where you can kind of prioritize. You can say like, okay, these are the five podcasts that I listen to, but when this one is new, put it on top, like put it at the beginning, and then you can just play the playlist, and you don't have to think about what you're listening to. You just know that you know if uh, you know the Washington Epps podcast is your favorite podcast. Of course, it'll always be whenever there's a new episode, it'll always be on the top of your playlist. So I haven't experienced, I haven't paid for it yet. So, but I think I probably will in the future and play around with that. Do they, can I ask this question? Do they auto flow? So one of the problems that I have, I listen, part of the time that I listen to podcasts is when I'm running. And yeah. so like this morning I was listening to Grace Bonney's podcast, you know, the design sponge podcast is called after the jump. So I was, ha- I, I, I was halfway through my run and it ended. Um, so in order for me to then listen to the, another episode of anything, I have to take my phone off of my armband and like <laughs> manually go in there and like pick another episode while I'm running and to yeah. keep listening. And I don't like that it doesn't auto flow to something like it just put on something else. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I think it does when you use the playlist, but I think that's like a paid feature mm, again. So, like yeah, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that's one of the benefits of the playlist is that it, it just plays, plays so cool. through. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we have time for one more from each of us, and then we're going to be all done. So my last pick um, is Craftcation, which is um, a business and makers conference that's coming up in March, and it's in Ventura, California. Um, I never travel anywhere because I have three kids who I'm the stay-at-home mom for, um, as well as running my business, so it's really hard for me to get away. But I'm going, and I'm very excited. I'm teaching, I'm speaking, and I'm also taking classes. Um, it's March 26th to 29th, and um, there's a great lineup of teachers and speakers. Um, Elise Crepe is going to be there, Carrie Chapin. Kate Terry, Lisa Solomon, Megan Almond, and just tons of other people. Um, there's making classes like blog printing. There's sewing classes. Um, there's like weaving classes. And there's also business classes. My classes are I'm, t- I'm moderating a panel about making podcasts. Um, and then I'm also teaching a class about email newsletters. Um, and I'm on a panel about work-life balance with raising kids and running a business at the same time. So um, I'm excited to go, and it's the hotel is on the beach, so I'm excited for that. Um, <laughs> after, like, a winter in Boston, I just Ugh. think that's going to be in March. <laughs> it's the worst. Um, I'm frankly excited to just fly in an airplane by myself, even just, like, driving to the airport by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Anything <laughs> so, by yourself is just excited. magically so luxurious. The whole yeah. thing is awesome, and I hope that... Um, yeah, some podcast listeners will come and, um, and just be part of it and hang out and enjoy. So that's craftcation. Yay. Um, all right, Chelsea, you've got one more pick, so I'll let you choose. I'll talk about Clarence, which is this animated show that I'm obsessed with. I'm a giant child, basically. I love cartoons. I watch them in the background while I'm working all the time. Um, but the show Clarence just came out on Cartoon Network that I just, I love it. It's, I mean, it's definitely for kids, but it appeals to adults too, just because of the humor is kind of like some of the things that kids just wouldn't get. Um, (laughs) I don't even know how to explain it. It's, um, I mean, there's episodes on CartoonNetwork.com to watch. It's about this, like, really weird bucktooth kid named Clarence who loves everyone, and everyone's very confused by him and um, his strange antics, which is kind of like me. (laughs) But, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Either that or Steven Universe, my next Adventure Time, my two favorite cartoons on uh, Cartoon Network. Phil, your last pick. So you had RDO and then you had um, a game as well. Do you, which one? Would you- the game I'm playing, people, probably a lot of people know about this game too. If you, I follow James Kachaka on Tumblr and he talked a lot about this game while it was in development and stuff. And um, if you don't know who James Kachaka is, he's a, he's a comic artist who's been doing, like, I think he's really started, he, he created the, um, we call it like a diary comic or a comic a day kind of comic. Uh, he did, it was called American Elf. He did it, I don't know, at least a decade. He did it for a long time. Um, and, but he's also done, you know, he does all these crazy characters and has a little series with different characters and stuff like that. Um, it's just a really, really simple and innocent style without being like crude or, so they have this game called Glorkian Warrior that is kind of like, it's just, it's, it feels very old, kind of old school, like a little like Space Invaders and a little like Galaga where there's just like things coming in groups and stuff like that. But it's just got this crazy sense of humor and, um, like it's when you get power ups, it's like a chorus of kids announces the power ups. So it's like power up. It's re- and then when you die, it's a- they go like, it's okay. Oh, <laughs> it's really, it's really awesome. It's just fun to play. Um, and it's just kind of just silly. I had this kind of like angry little snap uh, last weekend where I was like, I'm done with having all this junk on my phone. So I deleted Tumblr. I deleted Twitter. I deleted Instagram. I deleted all the Facebook apps and Skype um, just off my phone. And, and then I moved all my games to the home screen. And I'm like, yes, okay, I'm just going to play games and like draw stuff and make music on my phone. That's all I'm going to do. So I play, I've been playing this game a lot since then. I haven't drawn anything, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Phil, you're not going to be able to build your 24,000 Tumblr. I'm not. No, just, <laughs> just, phone. I'm just making Tumblr posts from work is, you know, once a week is not going to get me 20. I have 
not. Yeah. I try to post every something at least once a day, so that's why I have so many. Yeah, I try to only post when I have like something new that I'm making, and because of like this weird sporadic um, schedule I have, I don't. I feel like I don't always have something exciting to post about. But I think I just yeah, I need to get in the habit of just posting every day. Well, Chelsea Bloxham and Phil Barbito. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Washing Ups podcast. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. You're welcome so much. Thanks, Abby. Yeah. Um, so you can visit Chelsea online at loveandasandwich.com and Phil online at philbarbado.com. His site is under construction, but it's still linked to all of the places you can find Phil's plush online. Um, and you've been listening to the Walshing Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg, and I invite you to visit my blog, walshingnaps.com, where you'll find helpful information for creative entrepreneurs as well as tutorials and patterns for making stuffed animals and dolls. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>